Welcome to CS Radio. Hey everyone, welcome to episode 49 of CS Radio. I'm J. Michael DeAngelis. And I'm Amy Lynn Kirshner. Happy November, me Lynn. Yeah, this, uh, we're in November. I forgot to say Rabbit Rabbit on November 1st. Oh. Uh, I remembered at mm, maybe 11.50 My high school government teacher um, insisted we all perform an elaborate a ritual on the first of every month. Not just saying rabbit, rabbit, mm. but running around your bed and touching all four posts on your bed. As a rabbit? And saying rabbit as you touched each one. Oh. And then you could get back. Ideally, he would have you do this at the stroke of midnight, and then he would get back in bed and go to sleep. So, uh, see, if I had forced myself to stay up at midnight, I would have gotten there, but I got I lost focus in the morning. And then well, I, I was I'd... up at midnight, but I had a cocktail in my hand. So. <laughs> you should have gone for it. You had every opportunity. I actually almost I was running to an early Pilates class on November 1st, and I Seriously, I just stepped out the back door to my building, and I almost witnessed a car accident directly in front of me before 7 a.m. I was like, I really should have said rabbit, rabbit. I really missed an opportunity. Dark omens. I mean, it was a miss. They did not actually hit each other, and they were going very slowly because back in my building. But, yeah, rabbit, rabbit, something to keep in mind. So I'm sorry, Mr. Freeze. Wherever you may be. We all forgot everything. I didn't touch all four posts. Really, actually, I really only have two posts. Back of my bed, sort of an arch. Zero posts. So Postless. I don't know what to do in that case. But okay. uh, here's, here's to you, sir. I'm thinking of you on this day. And let me apologize to our, our listeners if you hear the occasional sip. I usually don't drink while we're podcasting. But it's an exception in November this year. Uh, I needed a cup of coffee to get through. Get through the end of the day. Perhaps, doing an air perhaps quote. because of that midnight cocktail I previously mentioned. Doing an air quote coffee right now. But here's why I'm tired. It's not just that I've been out on the town drinking. Yeah, you've done like something a, pretty. A uh... We I mentioned it as a long shot a couple weeks ago on the podcast, but it came true. I attended the Austin Film Festival Writers Conference last weekend in Austin, Texas, and it was. A really great conference. I learned a lot. As I've mentioned on this show before, I have a second career outside of career services um, as a writer. And so it was really exciting to be at a conference filled with creative writers, specifically playwrights and screenplay writers, and also podcasters. It was a big part of the conference. I bet. It's a huge thing. And I have to say, the <laughs> The playwriting people and the screenwriting people, uh, as far as professionals, a little, a little nervous around the podcasting people. Were they like celebrities at the conference, the podcasters, or was it more well? Of a so the play, my playwriting contacts were bemoaning the fact that playwrights are giving up or slowing down their play output because they feel it's easier to put together a podcast, and so there's a lot of and this, you know, uh, CS Radio would not have really fit in at this particular podcasting conference because it was about fiction podcasts, creative fiction podcasts. And so I met uh, a playwright who um, has had success with some pretty outlandish science fiction plays. And he's like, but that's hard to do and that's hard to sell. But in a podcast, it's all in your imagination. I just need actors and special effects. And he's like, and I'm having a great time. Is he finding it lucrative? 
Well, that's another question. Because if he's selling plays, is it the same as producing podcasts? So it is not, but he feels his exposure is higher Ooh. with the podcasts, and that may lead to paying, say, television and movie jobs or a play commission. Because he, like myself, is someone who wrote and produced his own work. And so every time he puts something up, it's not just money coming in. It's money going out. Right. So he felt like if he put an initial investment into podcasting, that he could tell the stories he wanted to tell with his friends, his talented actor friends, on a pretty low overhead overhead basis, get it out there, find an audience, and then maybe the next time he writes a play, he's got an audience because they're like... I love that guy's podcast. Or maybe somebody hears that and goes, I'd love to turn that into a movie. Now, podcasting is still a new medium. I mean, there are definitely ones that have taken off. Obviously, you know, two years ago, everybody was talking about serial. And uh, in the sort of creative field, I know Welcome to Night Vale is a very popular thing that has spun off not a TV show, but its own book series and a very popular live show that they take around. So there is possibilities in these new this sort of new old medium because we are essentially radio I was gonna say you said movie but did you mean Netflix special that I well also that yeah (laughs) so there was some tension there with this new this new media from the old the old entertainment folks so I'm wondering what else did you learn if our listeners are thinking about a career in screenwriting did you take away any good tips to share with them or big takeaways overall about the industry in general, where things are going, aside from the podcast angle? Yeah, so, boy, I wish uh, that uh, I could have my writing partner call in right now because he he tackled a lot of the film writing uh, stuff while I went to the theater stuff. Maybe he can be a guest in a future Maybe episode. he could. So the thing about screenwriting that I certainly heard over and over again was it is very difficult to get your script in front of somebody who's going to make it. Film studios, even small studios, even independent producers have pretty strict rules about not reading unsolicited scripts. And that has a lot to do with time and it has a lot to do with legalities because if I give you a script and you read it and you Mm -hmm. say no thank you and then you go ahead and make a movie that that has has anything, anything, like if the main character wears the same shirt, you are a litigation, yeah. Whether founded or not, there is a fear of that. So people do not read unsolicited scripts. However, you know the internet is making things a lot easier, and so there's a couple of things that I took away. One, and this certainly is true um, from the, the theater perspective, but I heard it in film too. Start doing it yourself. Cameras are easy to come by. Get your friends together. Make your own little movie. If you don't fancy yourself a director, somebody near you does um, and probably has the equipment and, you know, what you can do even on an iPad is pretty impressive now. So if you have a story you want to tell, you want to get your writing out there, you want to get seen, go ahead. It It's a noisy wash. The downside of everyone having access to equipment and a platform like YouTube is that there's a lot of noise out there. So there are a lot of people putting stuff out there. But it's out there. And if you can find your audience, if even if it gets you to a place where somebody says, well, what, you know, why should I have a meeting with you? You can say, well, you can check out these these movies that I've done on on YouTube. So that's that's something. It is it is definitely a place to start. And, it's, you know, it's, of course, it's good practice. 
people are very high on online writing groups. There are programs offered by the WGA, the Writers Guild of America. There are platforms like Masterclass Mm -hmm. that allow you to develop scripts on your own time and share them online and get feedback. And I think that's really valuable. You know, so I think my advice uh, to students hasn't changed that much uh, as far as film goes coming from this conference, which is keep working on your craft. If you have a story to tell, put it on paper. If you want to get it out there in the world, find someone to help you and, and, and do it yourself, at least, at least to start. That is certainly the case uh, in playwriting, which is a field I already know more about, but learned some really interesting things at the panels. The big publishing houses have definitely ramped up their submission policies, so even they are starting not to take unsolicited plays. And part of the reason for that is um, because, perhaps because of the internet or because of popular culture, they were getting too many submissions of people who were like, well, here, I wrote a play, publish it. It had never been done. It had never been read aloud. It had never been done on a stage. It had never been workshopped. And play publishing is not novel publishing. It's not book publishing. Mm-hmm. Plays are meant to be performed. And so the big publishing houses want to see that a play has had at least one performance. And they were very charitable about it. So they're not, we're not saying it has to be on Broadway, and we're not saying it has to even be in a big regional theater. You could have had a high school production of it. But if it got done and it was a success, we want to know about that. Do they want to see it or just know about it? They just want to know about it. They may come to see it. Or I was wondering if they would (laughs) want a recording or part of it. Well, if it's a musical, they definitely need a recording of the songs. Sure. But they probably want uh, production stills, so photographs of what it looked like, reviews if possible, or testimonials from the people that did it. You know, because there is a market. Even, you know, there's a huge... High school market. So if this is a play that could be done at a high school, and I'm not saying it has to be written for, like, there are plays for high schoolers, sure. you know, but, you if know. If it was picked up by. Right. Or, if there's yeah. something that could could be done by a high school or could be done by a college or a community group or a professional theater, obviously that's the dream because then there's multiple licensing opportunities there. So they want to see that you've at least had it produced uh, at least once, multiple times the better, but that will at least get their attention. Both from the screenwriting perspective and the playwriting perspective, I heard this multiple times, your online presence is so important. Ah, say more about that. Writers should have their own website. Playwrights need to have, uh, so obviously like a a resume of, of works that you have had produced or published. You need to have production stills, credit snippets, news updates, and here was the most interesting thing. The publishing company said, they love personal information. And I was just going to ask about this. So is this like, took my dog out for a walk this morning, here's my picture of Fido, or? With- if you have a, so obviously they don't want that to be the majority, but like right, if right. you have a personal section that maybe links to your social feeds, that they can find you on social media, or you have a little still gallery of your personal life. Uh, a publishing A publisher friend of mine on the panel said, I was recently looking at a playwright's uh, website and learned that they love um, jumping out of airplanes para jumping no skydiving Sky <laughs> karen for the you save said karen, and i was like karen no. for the save skydiving and she was really super interested in that so 
just like we say in resumes, that interest line can catch someone's interest. Absolutely. <laughs> just like it's titled. Now, 2017. Yes. It's a pretty politically charged time. Yes. Do they caution you to completely avoid those topics or to engage or... Obviously, it probably matters if the content of your material touches on these things as well, but if there's a post out of nowhere responding to a news event, how does that uh, receive? That that's discussed? a good question. That We didn't really get into that, but I would say that falls into general advice about your online presence. Right. I don't think, especially as writers, no one's going to dissuade you from having an opinion. Sure. I mean, they want to see that you have <laughs> well-formed opinions. Don't be an asshole. You know, if you're getting into fights with people, that's probably speaking to your personality. That's a great um, You know, but if you can make, if you have a point of view and you can express that point of view, well, that's great as a writer. I think they would look at your online presence just to to see who you are and if there's someone that you want to work with. And ha I mean, it's definitely the same in Hollywood. I cannot tell you when I was at the film festival or at a film panel. Uh, how much of it really seemed like I was in a movie with everybody air kissing and, really? you know, uh, just a sort of sense of perhaps not genuine affection for each other. But everyone is so interested in meeting you and they want to know what you're up to and they want to know what you're doing and they want to know if they like you. <laughs> so I, I will say this honestly, I didn't meet anyone who wasn't super nice. I had some really, really great conversations with, with film and theater people, for sure. And it was really cool to meet people who, I would say, have a real level of success, like are running TV shows or have created yeah. TV shows and were absolutely, completely down-to-earth people. I, <clears throat> the personal observation that I shared with my publisher, and she was like, totally agreed, in the film world, and I'm probably, I'm thinking the theater world too, there was, there's a level, there's sort of like, there's the people down at the bottom who really want to get started and have this earnestness and eagerness. And then there's like this middle of the road pack where you're like, you're in a, you're right on the edge or you're just trying, you're just trying so desperately to get seen. And that's, a, that's where a lot of the air kissing happens. But then you land the job and then, like, everybody's back to normal, and they're just like people you'd want to go hang out with. And I went to some really interesting panels about TV writing. And, you know, a lot of TV writing is done, uh, as they say, by committee. There's a writer's room. So even though my name might be on the teleplay, you know, maybe 8 to 12 people in the writer's room have helped me hash that out. And so you're in that writer's room all day, every day, for however long the season's in production. And so you want to like these people. You want to, you want to work closely with them. You need to be able to spend long hours with them. You need to be able to go out and have a beer with them after. You need to be able to say criticism to each other, mm -hmm. to say, you know, Michael, this, this episode isn't working for me, and here's why, and not hurt their feelings and not have them take that personally. I learned a little bit about this from the Netflix series Love. Tell me more. Oh, that's all While I had. While I sip some coffee. That's all I had. Just that dynamic of that being the idea oh. person versus then the writers going through and kind of picking apart your ideas and figuring out what then right. looks I, like. Uh, I had it was a, a female-driven panel about working in television and all of them saying, you need to have a fairly thick skin, not particularly because you're a woman, but just because you're a writer. Because every day somebody's gonna not like some part of your idea. Like it's just the way 
it is. And you, every day, are not going to like somebody else's idea. So you have to remember that and remember that you're not trying to hurt anybody's it's not feelings. It's and creative. So they're probably not trying to hurt your feelings either. Right. TV seems like a really fascinating world right now with so many outlets. Mm-hmm. You've got broadcast television still hanging in there, basic cable, premium cable, and streaming. And it's a very fertile time. <laughs> they are buying things left and right. It's sort of a second golden age for sure. And it just seems like such an interesting time to be a writer for television um, because everything gets so niche, you know, and there's so many original series on every platform. Right. There's a there's a lot of opportunity out there for, for people to have their stories told. Yeah. As a viewer, I was watching, I caught up on This Is Us last night, and I, it almost felt like an accomplishment. I was like, okay, caught up there. Mm-hmm. But there's all these other things now, and it's it doesn't matter the season. It there's always new stuff coming up, coming up, and things ending, and it can feel like a checklist kind of thing. I to try to went consume. I went to a talk with one of my favorite writers, uh, Mark Frost, co-creator of my favorite TV show of all time, Twin Peaks. And, you know, that recently uh, returned to to television, and they purposely chose not to go the streaming route because they felt one of the things that made the original show special was that an episode would air on Thursday, and then everyone would go to work on Friday and talk about it. And, yes, and it's a mystery show, and there's a lot to digest and unpack. And having a week between episodes to think about it, which now some people view as a frustration. I know you were just mentioning uh, a show you like is coming back, but it's coming back uh, on television, and you'd rather just binge it all. It's true. Um, So they were purposely working against that because they wanted you to savor each episode and think about it and rewatch it and build the anticipation for the next week. And to me, it it worked because I can't tell you the last time, probably the X-Files dating myself, where, like, we made appointments, like, okay, it's Friday night, who's coming over to watch TV? I, when did when was the last time I did that? And then this show came back, and Sunday nights there were, you know, three to five people in my yeah, house. Yeah, having a serialization, I th- if you were mentioning my reference to Peaky Blinders, it was more that we had to wait longer because we don't get BBC, so it's a later release date is the uh, frustration. I can assure you that we watch... <laughs> We watch and we rewatch the Tom Hardy scenes in, in Peaky Blinders. There's some great acting happening. It's it's a really good show. Um, but yeah, having that anticipation of waiting, but then having a ritual of it, like, oh, it's Sunday night. We get to watch Game of Thrones or we get to watch Downton Abbey, Tear. Um, there's something to it. And you're right, it is kind of like a community around getting to watch it and talk about it, which is fun. And with the streaming, that can get lost because it's like, did you binge? Just finished American Vandal. Yes, that was great. Done. And then I almost even forget some of those series that I've that I've watched. I was like, oh yeah, just watched Big Mouth. That was gone in a flash. <laughs> but all really interesting. I guess I'll make one final plug, a piece of advice for students looking to um, become writers. It's and in this case, it's easier uh, as a playwright. Uh, join a professional association. I was going to ask about that. The Writers Guild you ha- is a union, and so you have to get a union job. You have to sell a screenplay or get hired on a TV show to join the Writers Guild. But I would say seek out online communities 
or join an in-person writing screenwriters group to not only share your work but learn about what's happening in the industry. That is so important was, to yeah. know what's going on in your industry, to know what's going on with the union. I mean, frankly, the Writers Guild it seems like every other year is on the verge of a strike. You kind of have to know that, and you have to kind of know why. Know what you're getting into. Know what is blowing in the wind, you know? My friend sold a screenplay, and then things seemed kind of to stall on it, and it's a female-driven action movie, and then Wonder Woman opened to a jillion dollars, and suddenly that's being fast-tracked, you know? So you know what trends are happening. Ideas blow around the wind, and very unconsciously, people pick up on it. And so suddenly you can have five Robin Hood movies in development. So you kind of have to, you have to read Variety, you have to read Hollywood Reporter, and you have to, uh, on the stage side, read Playbill, and just like know what's going on in your, in your field. I was gonna ask about the professional associations because I just was saying this to a student the other day regarding a different field, but they can seem dated, I think in 2017, when students are thinking about how to access job postings and people and things like this. They're thinking about their alumni connections. They're thinking about their family, friends. But I don't know that people are giving the weight to professional associations. And sure, often there's a fee, but often there's a discount for students. Yes. So if you are a playwright or you are interested in playwriting and you're a student, you have no reason not to join the Dramatist Guild of America. You get 50% off the membership rate. So I think if you join at the basic level, I think it would be $25 for a year. And yeah. that's incredible because the Dramatist Guild offers all sorts of things, including a quarterly magazine with all those industry insights that I was just talking about. They have legal assistance. So if you do write something and somebody wants to produce it or wants to publish it, they will review your contract for free. If you are going into collaboration with a director or another writer or a lyricist, they will help you write those contracts. That's an amazing thing. You don't have to go get your own lawyer. And they have the Dramatist Guild Resource Directory, which is a listing of all, well, of the majority of the theaters in America and contact information. Do they also put on events? Are there regional events associated? There are events. There are See? regional events. There are classes online totally. and in person, both in New York and regionally. I know the Philadelphia Dramatist Guild. There are regional reps. Uh, Jackie Goldfinger is the one in Philadelphia. She's a professor here at Penn. These face-to-face -face meetings, I did it was again. It was a different industry, but I was in, watching. I was attending a professional association meeting. I was there as a career professional, not as a member, and it was fascinating seeing some kind of. I think even underclassmen feeling, I'm sure, totally out of their league with all these kind of higher-level people in the field, but interfacing with them directly, personally, talking about their academic interests and having the person on the other end say, here is my card, send me your resume. It feels a little dated, I know, even when I suggest it to students, I feel my gray hairs, <laughs> just, you know, feel, oh, a professional association that seems so stodgy, but and, so valuable. And uh, I committed a, a cardinal sin and I thought about it on the airplane. I didn't bring either my career services business cards or my writer business cards. And I was like, who's got a business card? You know, like we do career fairs and these recruiters never have their they business cards. They don't card. anymore. You know what? Everybody. Every single person I met said, can I have your card? Next time. Every single person. Next time. So I was like, they're sitting on my desk. 
So uh, again, just a quick one, one last thing when we're talking about professional associations. Uh, again, for playwrights in particular, the new play exchange is a fantastic thing. You can put your plays up uh, to be read, and this serves a double purpose. Uh, you can get feedback from fellow playwrights, but it is up there for producers to see. I saw a play last night here in Philadelphia at a major theater. That play came off the new play exchange. So it's opportunities. That's how things happen. So if you feel like it's impossible to get somebody to see my play, put it up online. And if, particularly if you go through New Play Exchange, uh, as opposed to putting things up on your personal website, which is what I did for years, you can worry a little less about copyright problems and things like that because New Play Exchange is acting as an agent mm. in that sense. So, Like um, you said, write it, put it out there. If you build it, they will come. Somebody will come. Go Astros. That was so, it was very exciting and interesting being in Texas with sure. a bunch of people from Hollywood watching the, <laughs> the Houston Astros and the Los Angeles Dodgers duke it out. Some pretty exciting nights in the hotel bar. Especially with everything that Houston has gone through this year. It's a big year. Go Astros. Go Astros. So I think, I think that's what I have to say about my, my trip. I want to thank CS Radio for supporting me letting me go out there and learn more about uh, the industry and to find out the exciting things that are happening in the podcast world. I guess that's the other thing. Go out there and make your podcast, kids. And the next episode of CS Radio will be completely fiction. No, just, just kidding. <laughs> that'd be amazing. <laughs> well, I guess we'll see you all next time for, can you believe it, episode 50. We're going to have to do something. I feel like we should do an all-fiction episode for our 50th. We need to do something special. Stay tuned. All right. Well, you know what, Milan? Write it, oh. and, I'll, and I'll come. <laughs> Perfect. See you next time, everybody. This podcast is produced by the University of Pennsylvania Career Services Office, a division of the Vice Provost for University Life. Your hosts are Amy Lynn Kirshner and J. Michael DeAngelis. It's produced, mixed, and edited by Karen Yang. Our theme music is Gotta Keep Moving" by The Losers, used under a Creative Commons license. We'll see you right here next time on CS Radio.